Do you know whether you're a sociopath or not? Or maybe some of your friends? Today we have special guest Rebecca who has over 25,000 plus hours of psychotherapy and she's gonna talk about those issues plus the complexity of the choices that you and I make. Catch us right now, no gray areas. Welcome back to No Gray Areas 2023. Today we have a special guest, very special guest to me, and I'm going to explain that in a little bit. Um, but we have a special guest, uh, Rebecca Maluli, but I know you as Becky. Mm -hmm. Most people call you Rebecca now. That's kind of your professional name. Yes. But I know you as Becky because you're my sister. sister. <laughs> you're my sister. So we've known each other for a long time. And anybody, uh, we have a lot of people that just listen to the audio of this. Anybody who's watching the visual, I'll test them. Is she my older sister or younger sister? There's one right answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody watching is going, well, she's clearly your younger sister. She's my older sister. She just looks a lot better than me. So, and you were a big shadow to follow for the audience. Uh, How we, so? I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> you did everything a typical first child. Mm. but you excelled at everything. So funny story, I'm in eighth grade. You've already gone before me a few years. We're going to a small school in Western Montana and they got this McCullough. They already had a McCullough in their class <laughs> and they get me and they're like, this Patrick must be a genius like his sister. So they put me in, in foreign language and algebra classes that usually they're taking in high school. Right. And about three weeks into the school year, uh, we sit down with the administration. They're like, we've discovered, they didn't say it this way, but we've discovered you're not your sister. <laughs> and so they pulled me out of those it special took them classes. That long? <laughs> well, they probably figured it out sooner. They were just trying to figure out how to deal with it. But anyway, uh, so Becky, what we want to talk about today is you, you have uh, 27 years of experience. Yes. What, what is it? Uh, 25,000 plus hours of psychotherapy. This mm -hmm. has been your field. You have a private practice. You mm -hmm. had a private practice really coming right out of college, right? Mm -hmm. Which fits right along with who Becky is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. You jumped right into a private practice. But you've worked with adolescents, families, veterans with trauma. So No Gray Areas talks about our, our podcasts and really our platform is a lot about choices, the power of choices we have as humans, but also the complexity of choices. And that's why I really wanted you on here because... You, your background is going to really help us unpack, and man, I'm excited for the audience to hear this, that as humans, it's not as simple as just saying, uh, I don't want to do this anymore, or I'm going to change. And and that there is power in that, but it's not that simple when we start talking about mm -hmm. the brain, right? Right. So let's unpack that a little bit. First of all, when I say that, what, what like for our audience, how would you how would you explain that when I say it's not it's not as simple when we start talking about the brain that that we as humans maybe have some maybe things that we're born with, mm -hmm. right? Well, even this conversation is exciting that we're starting to have conversations about what's underneath choice and decision making. Yeah, right. This wasn't happening twenty years ago like it is today. Yeah, yeah, but, you're right. Right. Yeah. As I in therapy, I was learning over time like why are people having difficulty changing, and when we unpack things over time with enough questioning, we find out almost 100% of the time, it started when in their childhood years, childhood yeah. adolescent years. And I don't and want anybody to miss what you said. You just said how, what percentage? I, You know, it's anecdotal, right? Yeah. It's not yeah. Yeah. hard data, but I would say almost 100% of 
Yeah. If you ask enough questions and are curious with people, you, people you'll figure out yeah. that it started when they were kids and teenagers. Yeah. So that when someone is my age, like I'm 51 now, mm-hmm. when someone's my age, there's some pretty deep trenches that have mm-hmm. taken place up here and, 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 and that, that started as a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And <laughs> since we were siblings, <laughs> you, you're sitting there, you're analyzing me right now going, and you're a mess, Pat. <laughs> I know you are. This I know you my are. Chance. Yes. But, but so you're saying it's good that we're talking about this because we, we didn't, we didn't used to talk about it as much mm-hmm. as we are now. So when that starts in, in childhood, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, you know, when the brain develops over time, I think one thing we're learning is that to get from the animal brain to the higher level of emotional intelligence, we have to have relationships that are nurturing mm-hmm. and safe. Mm-hmm. And we're learning that more and more, mm-hmm. right? That turns on the ability to do higher level things like empathy, social sensitivity, collaborating, problem solving, all the things we need to do to get along. And humans- Critical things. Critical things, yeah. right? And if you break down human suffering, what I've seen in my practice is it all comes down to people can't get along with people. They can't get along with coworkers, family members. They can't find their tribe. They get isolated. And so that's one thing we're really seeing. Because right? of suffering, like that that's a big part of it, trauma? Trauma, trauma. A big, big part right, of it? Right, So are, are you saying that when we're children, that if we're in a healthy, safe environment, mm-hmm. we're learning all of those things about empathy and how to interact mm-hmm. and how to deal with conflict, but no one's in a perfect environment, whether it be home, school that mm-hmm. we go to. But be, so because of that, some of the trauma that we may deal with, it, it gets in the way. Mm-hmm. of learning some of those things, which is what creates. So most of the therapy that you're working with are people that had some of these issues that are now struggling with how to deal yes. with with what we would be able to deal with probably a lot better than we do if we didn't have this. Right. Is that what you're saying? So, so you're unpacking some of those things. You're helping people with that. Mm-hmm. When I say that human choice is complex, what would you do with that? How would you, how would you hmm. answer that? You know, it, that's a good question. Yeah. Thank you, Becky. <laughs> He's asking good questions. I think that we're wired to be more behavioral. We talked about this last night, Mm -hmm. that we're wired to look at behavior modification. And what we see on the outside is kind of like, you know, the top of the iceberg. But when we start unpacking and unpeeling and really going underneath, we really see that choice is really multi-determined. Yeah. There's a lot of variables that go into what people do and what they don't do and how people learn. Yeah. And how people yeah. unlearn things. Yeah. And so things like biology, neurology, family relationships, personal wiring, personal personality, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. And that's what makes it so complex. Mm-hmm. In fact, when we were talking last night, part of our conversation was about, I think we were, we were saying that the grayer you get, the grayer life gets. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're younger, you, you seem to buy into like everything tends to be so black and white and it's just like choose to not do this but as you get older you start realizing maybe through our own experience but also watching other people it's not it's not that simple there's a lot more complexity that goes into that and that's where you're saying the science behind what's happening in Mm -hmm. our brain proves that Mm -hmm. yeah correct so you you brought up the word empathy right and that's what when you and i were talking we talked a lot about empathy and the mm-hmm. importance of empathy. Why is that so important as, as human beings? It allows us to do what we need to do, which is to collaborate with other people and build social systems. And what we're finding is it's the first thing that gets compromised with any kind of adverse situation. Empathy is. Yes, because empathy requires that we can go to a higher level of our brain and we have to feel safe. We have to feel like our environment is safe, that we're in a predictable environment. 
something that we don't have to be hypervigilant about. So until we have that feeling of safety, and it doesn't mean it's not necessarily family environment, it can be school environments or sporting environments, it can be any environment that doesn't feel safe. If our brain is cued into that, it can't do the other things it needs to do, which is to be able to calm down, to be able to trust people, to be able to do, you know, more complex problem solving. And you brought up safe, reliable, which is what Mm -hmm. uh, a family structure should do their best. No one's going to be perfect at it, but should do their best to like that's that's where this is supposed to happen primarily is to be a safe, reliable, and so many don't have that. Mm -hmm. But I also was almost sad when you said that because I thought, especially junior high girls, Mm-hmm. Are there any more people that are more evil to each other right. than junior high girls? So That's right. you're, you're, That's you're a critical time <laughs> in someone's life, and very few of them would feel safe and reliable when they're at school. That's right. With but their peers. Yes. If they get it at home, then they can go into those environments that are more competitive or, um, hmm. you know, they're meant to be defensive and hierarchical yeah and they can figure it out yeah so you see teenage girls that have really solid home lives they can go into situations like that and they can they know what to do yeah yeah you know they're not chased away by that they're not threatened by that yeah and they don't overreact to that so they're already building a tribe at that point in Mm -hmm. time Mm -hmm. they then they because they have one at home it's Mm -hmm. interesting you say that because i think it's a great point that if you're going to do life well, you're not going to be in safe, reliable situations all the That's time. Right. That's just part but of living in this world. But then you learn world. how to navigate it. But you learn how to navigate right. it because you have some of those. Mm-hmm. And even as an adult, then, if you're in a healthy relationship, whether that be a marriage or a friendship or an intimate relationship, that if it's a safe, reliable one, that you'll have better tools mm-hmm. in dealing with that one that's not necessarily safe in other mm-hmm. places, right? Because when our brain feels safe... And it's something we feel inside. It's a neurological experience too, and, and a body, a, a sense of feeling safe in our body. When that happens, it turns off that fight or flight. Mm-hmm. And none of our energy has to go into, am I safe? Is this person safe? Is the situation safe? And we can go, all of our energy can go in, into building the connection we need to with the other person. Wow, and that that's, you used the word a little earlier, defensive. And mm-hmm. that's what you meant by that, right? Mm-hmm. Like when we're in a highly competitive or an unsafe place where we automatically go into defensive mm-hmm. a defensive mode, but our brain is neurologically, our body is reacting differently. Is that correct? Right. When we're in that situation, right. what's happening neuro- neurologically? It's a big word for me, Becky. What's <laughs> happening to us neurologically yeah. when we're in a safe place versus a uh, competitive or unreliable place? The, the main thing that happens is when we feel safe, we can get into the parts of our brain that make us higher level beings. You know, the prefrontal cortex. That's the part that does algebra. That's where I, <laughs> this explains a lot. Yeah, but when we get in that part, we can start to do higher level things like read social cues, read nonverbals, understand like how to get to solutions and get through difference. and get along with different kinds of personalities yeah um we can read people even though they don't tell us how we're feeling we can read it from across the room yeah right because we're not not all our energy is taken into that hypervigilance you might say you'll read a room better definitely when you're in a in a healthy situation yeah you'll read it differently yeah so if someone's hypervigilant they're going to be searching for how am i not safe so people that have had trauma are acutely aware of any changes in an environment. 
So they're and they may be missing other things because right. of that because yeah. they're just in yeah. a little bit of the fight or flight mode. Yeah. Yep. So you're saying neurologically, the, the 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 frontal lobe of the brain isn't as active, isn't as working as much when we're in that unsafe situation. It actually goes offline temporarily. Really? Yeah. And the longer it's offline, that was me in algebra class. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't feel safe there. <laughs> the longer it's offline, the more we miss. The longer we stay in hypervigilance, the more we build a personality around that space. Wow, that's fascinating. So. When you start thinking, you when, earlier you talked about almost 100% or a high percentage of issues go back to mm-hmm. when we were developing. So when you go back to people's childhood, there were things that were happening to any human just because we live in a broken, fallen right. world. Um, even if they had a good home, there's something that, that's happening that, that is traumatic that's inhibiting that sometimes. And that they naturally, and we were talking about this last night, which I thought was fascinating too. We we come up with coping mechanisms mm-hmm. or defensive mechanisms that we didn't even realize, mm-hmm. correct? That's how our brain is amazing. Yeah. It's wired to adapt to whatever's in front of it. And every human did that as a child in some facet, and they didn't even realize they were doing it. But then they were developing paths of the brain that are going to be a little more difficult to deal with or change when they're adults. Is that correct? That's correct. So that's where, when we talk about the complexity of choices, it's not as simple as as just saying, make a different choice. No, because what we think of good choices, we would think of them, for most of us, they're moral, they're, you know, they're not impulsive. We think about how other people are going to feel when we make this choice. Um, We think about the consequences long term. We think about the impact on our social environment. Those are all things we do only if we're able to access that part of our brain. Mm. And we've learned to do that over time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So people that come in and aren't making good choices over and over again, you know, it's, it's sort of easy to judge that as, yeah. why can't you just figure it out? Yeah. But if you did, if you really looked at how the brain's functioning in those moments, I think we could develop more empathy pretty quickly. We talked about that last night. If yeah. you saw that actually on a scan, yeah, that the parts of the brain that are needed to do that you know, sort of more complex interacting aren't fired up. Well, and that, oh man, I'm so glad you brought that up because that's what we were talking about where if someone broke a leg, mm-hmm. we put an x-ray up, there's a there's a bone that's broken and we look at that x-ray and we go, we need to, to get help for this person. We need to set that bone. Yeah. But because, and I think that's starting to shift, but because people haven't been able to do that with the brain, when someone's struggling with depression or anxiety or whatever else we say, we, we sometimes we're like, we'll just get over it or just choose to be happy or have an attitude of gratitude. That's your favorite. Line. Yeah, yeah. Not so much. <laughs> yeah. But it's not that simple. But we, mm-hmm. we miss that sometimes because we haven't been able to just put up a brain scan, which I think it's starting to change. Yes. And what you're saying is if you yeah. could put up a brain you scan, you would you actually see, see like you see with the mm-hmm. broken bone, you would start seeing these parts of the brain aren't being used right now mm-hmm. because of this traumatic experience, right? You'd see it. Wow. Yes. Do you think that's starting to shift? I mean, I feel like it is. It would is. you agree? We have a ways to go because when I started my practice in 1996, and I didn't know this, I learned it at a workshop, that the brain was the least studied organ of the body. And I'm thinking, we really? got to be kidding. We know more about the pancreas than the brain at that point. Are you serious? So... I- yeah. That's fascinating. So it's, we've, we've gained some ground. Really? So in 96, every other organ in the body was studied more than the human brain. The brain was studied the least. We knew, so, or, or we didn't know as much yeah. as other organs. Yeah. So we're catching up. I we're mean, it's not up. been real long. 
that we know, you know the neuroplasticity of the brain, that the brain can change. We can yeah. unlearn and relearn. So, okay, let's go there for a moment. Yeah. The neuroplasticity of the brain. Yeah. What does that mean? Something can change. It can move, it can shift, it can adapt, it can modify. We literally can lay That's down. That's the good news with this. Right, thing. yeah. It's not fixed. It's cranky, like it doesn't really want to change automatically. So it needs social support, it needs repetition, it needs So this is where, so for our listeners, like this would be where habits are important, right? Where they say what, you know, whatever it is, like it takes Mm -hmm. 21 days to change a habit or whatever. It's cranky. It's, you're not going to get up tomorrow morning and work out for the first time. And then it's just going to be easy to Mm -hmm. do it. But if you do it 21 days in a row, you might be able to start shifting that, which is great news then because I can go. So someone, so someone my age, 51 years old, who's maybe struggling with some things, because of mm-hmm. my childhood, it doesn't mean that it's over then for me, that I'm just no. like, well, there's nothing I can do about that now. No, not at all. And we talked about this before we started a little bit. Yeah. The hope here, and maybe we can repeat that yes. toward the end. I think the hope, I didn't know this when I first started this work. You know, when people would come in, I go, oh boy, you know, this isn't looking too good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But, you know, I didn't understand all the other pieces that go into why people do what they do. Yeah. But the really good news is, and I love that I love the whole concept of learning and being curious, is that almost any mental condition, and I'm thinking even the big ones, you know, like the bipolar personalities, personality disorders, things like that, things that are kind of entrenched. Yeah. That if we have enough of the right social support and we have the right training and learning and we put the work into it and we do the repetition, we can lay down new neural networks in our brain. Man, that's so important yes. to get. So say that last part again. If we do those things, we do those things. If we try to create new habits, we will lay down new new neural networks. So there might have been it. a deep trench for someone like me, mm-hmm. fifty-one years old. There may be in a deep trench, but what I have to be careful with, and any of our listeners be careful with, is to say. I, I can't change this. I've been like this my whole life. And you're saying no way. Neurology even proves that that's that's not true. Well, and the other thing is in 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 this field, the more research we do, we're not finding any specific genetic link. Well, it depends I guess on who you ask, but if you really kind of look at and you do a lit review, we're not finding solid genetic links to any mental conditions. What that leaves is well, then it's about experience and about how we can recreate new learning, right? And it's about how it started in the first place, which what we learned. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that so that's it's really dangerous hopeful. to say I was born this way and I can't do anything about it. Yeah. Like with with whatever my struggle is. Mm-hmm. That the truth is, is like that. You, even if you argued that you're predisposed or and that's whatever, true, right? Or, Vulnerable. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you dealt with some trauma or some issues in life, and then you put up this defensive mechanism or coping mechanism that you didn't even realize. What you're talking like mine was this vow I made as a young boy, I'll prove you wrong. Yeah. Which worked for me really well for a lot of years, but it was it's an unhealthy way to live. I didn't mm-hmm. find that out till I was in my forties. But it but it but I almost needed it. Like I don't wanna mm-hmm. I don't wanna look back and, and go like, oh, that was a huge mistake I made. I needed that to get through some of those times, right. but I can unlearn that in some way. That's what you're saying. Yeah. And the one thing I've seen people learn and teenagers are great at this. I love working with teens. Well, first of all, because they're curious and they want to learn and they're not all stuck in the mud like we are as adults. Yeah, Their yeah. brains are still developing. Yeah. Um, but they, people can learn empathy. I've seen it many times. And just last week I was working with a couple and the woman was able to stop herself in the middle. You know, she sort of has these rages and she gets all dysregulated. Yeah. And in the middle of that, she stopped and said, 
I noticed how my husband was looking and the look on his face. And I realized that what I was doing wasn't working. And she wow. she had not been able to do that, like to stop yeah, in that moment yeah. and read his face. Yeah. And that, that's what you would call empathy. Like yeah. she, she empathized with the nonverbals yeah. her husband was giving her. And we can actually learn that. We can like learn if that. we didn't have. She did. Yeah. 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 Well, and that's a great point because empathy is such an important part, mm -hmm. right, of of being human, mm -hmm. right? How would you answer that or how would you respond to that when I said it's it's maybe one of the more, more critical parts of being a healthy human is having empathy? That's where a lot of human suffering comes from is the breakdown in social interaction. Mm -hmm. That's what we're wired. We're designed to be in social collaboration mm -hmm. at the end of the day. And at the same time, though, our brain is wired to be egocentric. I mean, right, we kind of have to learn out of that. Yeah, so there's that yeah. dynamic tension. Yeah, kids, we don't have to teach kids to be selfish. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what you're saying, right? right? So but, it kind of naturally bent yes. that way. Yeah. And if I think back on, if you were to sort of say, where does human suffering start? Like, what's the core variable? I would say it's the inability to really create that collaboration with people. Well, what do we need to do that? It's, it's empathy. Yeah. And that, like empathy, there's lots of different types of it, right? Yeah. But in general, we have to be able to use that to connect with people. Yeah. If we can't do that, that's where a lot of suffering comes from. How would you describe, because I think this empathy is one of those words that we throw around sometimes. And then if you ask someone like, what does that actually mean? Mm -hmm. It's kind of vague. So how would you describe mm -hmm. empathy when you're saying it's, it's one of the most critical things we need as humans to yes. collaborate and work with each other. But what does it mean to be empathetic? There's a lot of different answers to that, but I think... The one that comes to me is the ability to really see into someone else's experience, mm. to be in it, to see it, to imagine what it would be like. Imagination is really important. And here again, if we're in a trauma situation or we have defensive uh, personalities, we're not in the part of our brain that can be creative and imaginative, which is what we need for empathy. So a lot of times in therapy sessions, I'm like, can you imagine what your brother's thinking or your sister or your mom? And people stop for a minute, and at first they're like, not really, I'm just mad at them. Mm. But over time, well, think about who they are and how they do the world, or look at the look on their face. And people start to go, well, maybe, and they put it together. Man, Becky, I love how you use those words, creative and imaginative, mm -hmm. because that goes back to, you know, you always have to, if someone's grieving, you want to be careful, you don't want to say like, hey, I know what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. Well, you don't actually, so you got to be careful with those words. But empathy says, um, if you lost your spouse, I haven't lost a spouse yet, but but empathy is I can be very creative and imaginative and go, if I put myself in your shoes and imagine me losing my spouse, right. this is what I might this feel. This is what I would feel. So I don't know exactly how you feel, but I can get, I can empathize. Oh, that's so good mm -hmm. because I'm creative and imaginative. But what you're saying is when we're in an unhealthy place, whether it be trauma or the, the defensive, we're not doing that really well sometimes. No, because what you just said there is, in order to understand how someone else is feeling, you have to be able to feel it. So empathy starts with an ability to feel our own experiences. Yeah. To have body awareness, to feel, you know, that's interoception, to be able to experience our own experiences yeah. and to name them. And then that's the building block. So when we teach empathy, we start with, well, what are you feeling? How yeah. would you describe it? Yeah. And then do you see that in other people? Can you imagine that they might be feeling that in the same situation? Wow. This has been so good because, again, it's right in line with what we're doing with No Gray Areas. We talk about the power of choice, but but we've been unpacking the complexities of that. And I think there's really two mm -hmm. takeaways for for me, for our audience, is that, number one, like you said, to, 
to try to be more empathetic toward other people. If your struggle isn't my struggle, it's easy for me to say, just change. It like, is. what's the big deal? Mm-hmm. And they can change. That's the good news. But to have a little more empathy and go, there may be some things in their life, some things that they went through, some trauma they went through that makes this a lot more difficult for them. Yes. Quit worrying. Like, just stop worrying. Right. Well, maybe they went through some stuff that makes it a little more difficult for them to not be a little more anxious. That's one takeaway, I think, mm-hmm. right? Another one, which I love that you brought up, Becky, is that even though as we get older, it's going to be more difficult, it's never over. Never. Would, would you say a 70-year-old or an 80-year-old can start undoing some of those? Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's harder to change something that we've had longer, Yeah. but absolutely. Yeah. And that's so important to learn because I can promise the listeners that are younger, that are maybe in mm-hmm. their 20s or 30s. Mm-hmm. I can promise them, now that I've journeyed this way, that in their 40s and in their mm-hmm. 50s, that they're going to start learning some coping mechanisms that they had that worked for them, that were necessary, that are maybe unhealthy. And what you're saying is that once, once they figure those out, though, it's not over. No. You can start, oh, that's such good news. They have to do the work. It takes a lot of work to gain a self-awareness. Self-awareness is another aspect of empathy. We can't Mm. offer something we don't have. So the self-awareness of I'm using these coping mechanisms, right? That's that mindfulness where the mind watches the brain do what it's doing. And I don't, this isn't working anymore. I can see that it's not working, but that's maybe another podcast. Yeah. Yeah. That could be. (laughs) Yeah. Was there anything that we're missing that you would say, I I wouldn't want to leave the audience Mm -hmm. without doing this? Yeah. What is that? You know, I, you know, empathy is something we can start today. One thing I'll say to people, and I practice myself, is curiosity. I'm a naturally curious person. Yes, you are. I think that's why yes, I like the work are. I do. Ask, ask somebody three questions. Anybody in your life, ask them three questions that you've never asked them. And curiosity brings us into someone else's experience, and it gets past that, you know, the veil, the behaviors of someone, just what we see on the top. And we start to realize that people are complex, yeah. getting back to the complexity of things. Yeah. How do we know about complexity? We start asking questions. So I want to leave with oh, the good. idea of curiosity. I think we're, we're that's something we need to grow in our society yeah. more and more, yeah. is being curious. So you're saying the challenge is all of our listeners, me included, ask someone three questions. Mm-hmm. Let's play that out, though, just for a moment, just to help, help the listeners. What would that look like? Look, pretend you don't know me, and you were going to ask me three questions, or 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 you could pretend I do know you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't have to pretend you know me. You mm-hmm. do. What, like, what do you mean? Like, help them understand. Like, what are some three questions? Like, it's, this isn't complex. Like, if it were you, like, yeah. I just, you know, I haven't seen you for a bit. Um, yeah. You know, what are things, how, how have you been doing? What have you yeah. been up to? Yeah. And then somebody answers the question. Well, you know, what was that like when you did that? Yeah. What did you learn when you did that? Yeah. Yeah. Would you do it again? Yeah. Would that be an experience you would do again? Why would you do it again? I mean, it's just, you know, uh, you know, you can always think of another question. Well, yeah. But then you get deeper and deeper and you learn more about just just yeah. from the top value yeah. of someone. You actually get to go deeper into what they're about. And what you're saying is that that's going to help us become more empathetic toward people. Just being curious. Just being curious. And starting to dig in. You mm-hmm. help speak. You know why that's so important, Becky? Because this, Shar and I do this pretty well. Shar is my mm-hmm. wife. We, we do this pretty well, especially her. She's mm-hmm. very, very good at this. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many times... We've been out with people and we leave and we know so much about them. They hardly ask any part of that is because she's so good with questions and she starts asking so much. But it makes me realize that that as human beings, we're not naturally good at that. So that's a great challenge. Be curious. 
Get ask outside some questions. Of mm-hmm. Yep. And when you when you ask questions, you're curious. You're getting outside of yourself, mm-hmm. which is part of empathy. Mm-hmm. Love that simple challenge. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do that. So on our drive home in a little bit, I'm going to ask you three questions okay. in the car. Okay. You're on. <laughs> All right. So this is the fun part of the podcast because it's ironic. No gray areas. I'm going to ask you to lie. Mm. There's no possible way you can stump me. I'm your brother. Mm. So two truths and a lie. Audience is going to try to guess as well. They listen to you for about 30 to 40 minutes. Okay. I'm a Netflix junkie. Okay. I have met a U.S. president. Okay. And you're my favorite brother. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that third one is definitely the truth. So we're that. No, no. I know that. I know this. I know this. I got this. I know you're a Netflix junkie. We were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not proud of this, yeah, by the way. <laughs> yeah. That's it's great, though. But if. If someone could sit down with you and they wanted to know about a certain series or something on Netflix, you could probably tell them. You'd say, yep, watch this one. Don't waste your time with this one. Okay, good. And I know the second one is true because I remember a long time ago, what a cool experience. You just accidentally bumped into President Bill Clinton. I did. Right? I did. Yeah. And what? A, and you were in Colorado? Was Colorado. That Colorado. Yeah. Yes. Surrounded by Secret Service, and I walked right up to him and said, "I, you know, I want to meet you." Yeah, kind man. Actually, shook his hand. I shook right? his hand. How cool is that? Yes. How many people get to say they shook the hand of the President of the United States? I'm yeah. not sure, but I yeah. get to. Yeah, you did. <laughs> well, now I'm disappointed because the third one's a, that's that's not a true. I'm not your favorite <laughs> brother. Well, I'm going to leave that up. That yeah. that could be a truth or a lie. <laughs> yeah, I, I know that. I know it's not true. We have an incredible brother too, don't we? So yes, um, I can understand that you hold us evenly. I think that's an even it's score. Even. He's mm-hmm. not the favorite, is he? <laughs> it's even. Okay. Okay. Well, Becky, thanks so much. What an important topic we talked about today. And I hope people take your challenge to ask mm-hmm. three important questions. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Becky. Thank you. Wow. That was incredible. Rebecca did an amazing job. She holds a special place in my heart as my sister, but she did an amazing job helping us understand the complexity of choices. So question for you and I to wrestle with. How are you being empathetic toward other people's struggles? How are you being empathetic and forgiving toward your own struggles? Like, follow, and subscribe at No Gray Areas.